0: XR Charlie 1 for that check over. Control, control x Charlie 1, now clear. Charlie 1, give
1: me go, major number four zero the point, go down to number 46, on.
2: Every day and night, Gardaí are called out to investigate reports of violence in the home. In the past 15 years, more than 211 women were killed by their partners in Ireland.
3: Corby and Kilcanny are continuing to question a man in connection with the death of a mother of five in the city Our of the Crime weekend. correspondent Paul Reynolds. An ambulance arrived and rushed her to the Matter Hospital, but attempts to save the life of the mother of four failed. Thirty-seven-year-old 37 dairyman
2: accused of the murder of a pregnant mother of four in July last year could face a
1: retrial. An after investigation, investigation into the discovery of a woman's body in a burnt-out car in North Dublin this morning. A post-mortem was being carried out on the body this afternoon, but Gardaí have yet to announce whether they're treating the case as a murder investigation.
2: Domestic violence, by its nature, is kept out of the public eye. The domestic tag makes it sound like some dusty corner or unwashed linen. Sarah, Neve, and Simon, not their real names, are three people whose lives have been defined by domestic violence. Two were victims and one was a perpetrator. None of the
3: three are in
2: any way related to each other.
3: Maybe the first two, two and a half years, things were okay, like, up to that, he'd treat me, you know, with a bit of respect. He was such a different person then, too. It was unreal, like, you'd think all your birthdays came together when I first met him. And he was the nicest, even bringing us out for meals and treating us really nice. You know, it was great, like, but then it all changed.
0: um. I wouldn't consider myself at the moment violent. Um, I have a propensity for violence. But that is diminishing day by day, I feel.
1: I was very independent. I had just finished college and then I decided I was going to work on nurseries in garden centres. So I went around and found a farm that would let me put my caravan on it and um, I literally worked 12 hours a day on a nursery not so far away and used to push bike everywhere around the countryside. Now, the nursery next to where I used to live was working on the farm. And that's how I met him. Um, And he seemed really charming and very earthy and country-fied sort of young man. And I thought, oh, he's, you know, he seems my cup of tea. And everything went wonderful for six weeks. Really, really, really good relationship. We listened a lot and we had a good old chat and we laughed and we went for walks and it was wonderful. And then he started to change. His real personality came through. But... I loved him by then, so I tried to understand and to cope. I did actually spend a whole year trying to do that, and during that time he lost his mother, and he got very, very low. So low that he became very moody and very violent and very drunk most of the time, and he took drugs. Um, I stood by him trying to help him to get through it, just putting it down to losing his mother all the time. I thought that's it's losing his mother and he's very lonely now and sad. But um, it wasn't that at all, that was actually him, (laughs) which I didn't realise. Then we moved in together, Um, but after four months of that violence, I decided to leave. I couldn't take it anymore, it was about a year and a half, so I actually left and that was the end of that. And I should have just stayed left. I was 21. I'd already lost a baby then um, through the stress and strain of everything. um, And I should have stayed left. But I met him six months later and he persuaded me that he was a changed man and he didn't drink and he didn't take drugs anymore and he wasn't going to be angry. And if we could move back in together. I don't know, but I did... (laughs) It seems absolutely mad, but I did. And then I suppose one of the worst times of my life really was the next few years. It was a game of survival. It was me losing my independence, my personality, everything. Um, He became more and more dominant. He used the money up. I fought with him at the beginning, because I couldn't allow someone to treat me like that if he hurt me I would try and hurt him back and it just got it just got tit for tat and I thought that was rather childish the arguments so something inside of me decided that I needed to survive and if I was to make this work I do not argue anymore so I didn't I stopped I've now learned that that's called disassociation, and I went deep inside myself and would just accept the abuse, the shouts, the total ignorance. Um, I just accepted it. I don't know how, but I did. And I lost more babies, and I ended up getting very, very ill and ending up in hospital time and time again. I Ended up in hospital with bruising, and the doctors wanted to know where they were come from. I found myself making excuses. I don't know why I made excuses, but I just didn't want them to know that this is what was happening. Really, my mother was very concerned, and all of my friends disappeared. He did not like my friends. He didn't like even the girls. He didn't like anybody. And he would make up excuses for them and saying that he didn't just wish for them to be around and he wanted me all to himself. Um, Lots and lots of rubbish like that. There's just mountains of it to say, really.
2: Domestic violence is about power and control. The reality is you or I could be a perpetrator or a victim. It can be actual or threatened. It can happen to anybody at any time or place, in a new relationship or even after many years together. And domestic violence isn't just physical. Psychological violence is its more sinister face. And no one can see those scars.
0: I'm a friendly person, you know. I was acutely aware of my behavior, and I always tried to to change. But the more I tried, the worse I seemed to get. I didn't understand uh, anger, I didn't understand why I was angry, and when you don't understand something it it frustrates you, I I became consumed with it in the end and it controlled me. Um, At times I I would have been afraid of my anger. in that respect, know, yeah, I, I consider myself an abuser. It's not something I'm ashamed about, for the simple reason it's it's not something I set out to be or ever decided to be. In fact, the opposite. It's just something that is a product of of my life, and it's a reality. If you, it's a reality I accept. You know, and as I said, you know, you, you can't change yourself on this. You accept yourself for who you are, what you are, you know.
2: This man attends the Move Reeducation Programme, a programme dedicated to moving beyond the excuses for violent behaviour and towards the reeducation of that behaviour. It's medically agreed that domestic violence perpetrators are not sick and don't need a cure. The key issue is trust. Can they ever be trusted again?
0: It's almost like uh, a, a twin personality. It's uh, when the frustration and anger builds up, it pushes the person aside. I don't consider them two different people. What I was trying to explain or express was that if you allow yourself to be controlled by anger, it changes you from the person you are into the person you don't want to be. It is like two people would... It's obviously the same person would... I suppose it's a a case of sometimes we can allow our anger to change us and in that situation it's it's still like two people and anybody gets angry and expresses it in the wrong way it's like a Jekyll and Hyde I never rationalised my anger I always hated it I tried not to get angry, and I tried so much not to get angry that I did myself more harm. Anger avoidance is, is, uh, leads to explosive anger because the anger and frustration builds up inside you. If you don't deal with your anger when you feel it and deal with it in the right way, it builds up. It's it's like a capacitor charging. When it's full, it just anything can make you explode. You know. People do it naturally. Uh, who haven't learned to bottle it in or haven't learned to deal with it in the way that I learned to deal with it. My problem is that I learned uh, I learned the wrong way to deal with your frustrations and to deal with problems. I learned to use anger in the wrong way. It's about changing your behavior and um, your, your, your basic instinctive behavior you with the same.
2: perplexing thing about domestic violence is that the victim is, or certainly was, in love with the perpetrator.
0: But, I see
3: your true I see your
2: but worn down over time, they begin to believe that the violence is all their fault. That if only they were a better parent, lover, housekeeper, kept their mouth shut, kept in shape, gave up their job, that somehow things would get better. For Neve, she waited almost 12 years for things to get better.
3: When I met your man, he was just so nice and the Christmas was the best Christmas I'd had in my life and at the time I thought this was great and... But, like, I only saw the side of him that he wanted me to see. I don't know why he chose me. I really, really don't know. Maybe he just saw through me that I was gullible or... At the time, I wasn't, though. I was a different type of person, you know. My life was great then. I um, I did a load of travelling and I had loads of friends and and I had a good job and life was great, like, it was good. I remember when the violence started. We were out one night and I remember going over and talking to somebody I hadn't seen in a long time. So when I came back, your man was gone and I thought I'll I'll go to the car and see, was he there? And as I opened the door, he nearly pulled the head off me and had a go at me about my friend and... Do you get his phone number and when are you meeting him and stuff like that? When we got home that night, I was getting out of the car, you know, and he caught me, say, by the jersey and swung me out in the front garden into a tree. But he'd never look at you when he'd injure you, just in case he'd see the cut that you'd have. Or Next thing after he'd gone off, I started to bleed and... I was in hospital for a couple of days and I never told him anything about that, like, because I wouldn't have seen him every day. I must have bought more sweeping brushes than you buy dinners, like. I couldn't keep a sweeping brush in the house. He'd break it off you. He'd whack it off the table and you'd just be left with the stick of it. You could get a slap across the back of the legs or across the back or anything, like... He was a very, very violent man. I was petrified of him, you know. He was the worst pain in my life. You get up in the morning and you get a spit in your face or you get a kick in the leg and just going on and, on and on and on and on and on and on. And he was a very impulsive person, you know. And with drinking him, he was capable of anything so I felt maybe you know it's so hard to explain you know I don't know I felt I had lost everything at this stage you know I had no concentration or I had left myself go and I barely dragged myself out of work but I had to go you know financially I you know I had to when I look back there's no doubt you know, I was a fool, right? I really genuinely believed that he idolised me and that he just worshipped the ground, you know, and he didn't want to share me with anybody and that this was his way of, you know, showing that he... Because after he'd hit you and bailed you, in the space of an hour, he could change like switching on a light, you know, and he'd be all about you. And... But he would never, ever say he was sorry. I never, ever, ever heard him say that he was sorry. Sure, I was worse, wasn't I? I'd always forgive him, always. And can you imagine anything more stupid than that, like? And because I lost everybody... All my friends, like, I couldn't talk to nobody. I couldn't tell anybody anything, like. The violence was unreal, like, unreal. Every day of the week, every day that he was here, there'd be violence in the house, you know, it was unreal. Got to stay stage, you couldn't have a knife in the house. He'd come in and the nearest knife he'd get, he'd pull it and hold it up to your throat and he'd bang it off the table or the wall and he'd say the next time this is going through you and he'd uh, he'd give you a little nick of the skin on your neck with the knife. No, I never went to anybody. I went to my doctor once, like, I was pure suicidal, but I said to him I was just feeling down. You know, I never said the reason why. Every time your man come in the door... He used to encourage me to commit suicide. I I remember he used to sit in front of me and he was maybe about seven and he used to say to him, I hate you. Do you understand that? And I hate your mother. Do you understand that? There wasn't another soul in the world that knew what was going on in our house. I didn't want anyone to know, you know. And by then your man started using a hurley stick. It was unreal. He'd hit you with it and then, can you say to me, you'd better get rid of him, ma, or you're going to bury one of us. Or it'd be yourself that gets buried. We were just like little dogs on leads. Follow the leader like that. That was it. While Niamh was
2: going through hell on her own, in another part of Ireland, so too is Sarah. They may have thought they were unique. But sadly, they're not. Fear and shame keeps the victim quiet.
1: He would cry after he lost his temper. He was always crying afterwards, and I'd feel sorry for him, even though I was petrified. And the frightening thing was, was when I had the children, Um, and I finally was able to keep uh, a baby long enough, he was exactly the same. If the baby would start crying, he would just <coughs> roar up and have a go at us and tell me to keep the baby quiet. It was awful. It was terrible. You can't keep a baby quiet if the baby's, you know, needs the nappy changing or something. So that was quite stressful. Um, but somehow I coped, and the baby learnt to be quiet, <laughs> and I learnt to be quiet, more subdued. So subdued, it was just not funny. But the fun, the thing, the strange thing was, we actually got into um, having our own little world. My child and my other child grew up to. It was our space. If we weren't in the house when he was there, we had a great time. And if he was out of the house and we were in the house, we had a laughter. But as soon as he would walk in, it's only now, looking back, that I realised that we would just shut up. And there were things like you had to have the dinner ready for him when he walked in, the place had to be spotless and he wouldn't understand that you might be just doing too much work or going to work. He never understood that either. I tried to make friends. I made lots of friends, but I was too ashamed to bring them around the house. Um, And I did some housekeeping to earn some money. And by then I had learnt, you learn rapidly, I'd learnt to put my money to one side because otherwise you have no money. There's no money to pay the bills, there's no money to provide anything for the children. So I was already working and putting my money away separate and I let him do what he wanted to do with his money. One of the things he had said to me was, you don't fit in. I must say that as well. I know that sounds very strange, but it's something that sticks out on, on my mind. One of the things he used to say was, like, you don't fit in. You're not like the women around here. Um, you're always ill. You speak better than they do. Um, you are uh, you don't like going to the pubs. You, um, you know, things like that, where he would repeatedly say to me, so... I joined in on the parents' teachers' committees. I set up a playgroup. I did, um, with learning difficulties in the church, we set up a club, which actually they've just invited me to the 10th anniversary of what I've just set up. So I got very much involved. I really, really did get involved, especially for him. I completely changed my whole personality to fit in with him. And it still wasn't enough. I still wasn't like his family, I wasn't like his friends, I wasn't like anybody really. And yet that's what he liked about me, which really seems a bit mad, (laughs) but that's just the
2: way it was. As happens with many women, it was only when her children came under fire that Sarah finally knew enough was enough. You know,
1: when you come into a living room and your little child is playing with Lego or Kinex, something like that... And my son, right from day one, I had taught both my children how to read, write, play f- quite advanced. Well, they were so too advanced, really. When they went to school, they knew everything for the first three years. And they were highly bored, but I didn't know that's what would happen. But I really taught them everything. So when my son would be four, he would be making very complicated, complex, connects, um, structures, something like a 12-, 14-year-old would do. And he had sussed on how to do that. My husband would come in and he'd shout at him to clear his mess up and clear away. And he would kick it, and my little my little boy would um he'd stand up and he'd be so frightened, and he would try and run away, and he would chase him and would hit him so hard that he would fall if I was upstairs, I'd have to fly down and just get in front of him and say, don't you dare do that, you leave him alone. And I would have to then protect my daughter and she'd be screaming and I'd be screaming and just telling them to stop it. So we, we ended up clearing no, no toys allowed downstairs. All toys had to be upstairs. You don't... Like, if you you want to teach him how to bake, that's fine. But if he'd come in and all the baking stuffs everywhere, and he'd come in and he'd go, I can't make a bloody cup of tea in this fucking house. What's fucking going on? And throw things around. That's what it was like. It was very much like that, just twenty four seven. You you could work hard all day, and make the place spotless, You'd be sitting there like really quiet and everything. And maybe you're watching cartoons on TV. And he'd go, what's this rubbish on the television? And put his own stuff on and then you'd go away. And After 20
2: years, the relationship was finally brought to an end and Sarah's husband, under severe external pressure, reluctantly left the family home. Sarah and the children enjoyed six months of calm until one night her drunken husband arrived at the back door.
1: So I decided I would go and and open the door (laughs) and give him lots and lots of cups of teas and calm him down and talk to him. So that's what I did. I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't have him. He was out there for an hour shouting. I needed to get the children sorted out. I had rung my friend up. And she had come round and she went round the back of the house and got in. She had left her car down in the pitch black down the lane and walked up so he didn't know. And she ran up the stairs. I shut that door and I had him in here. And I kept him in here for two hours. And then eventually I decided I had to do something so I asked to use his phone and I rang up his landlord (laughs) and he was so out of it. He told me that he'd taken loads of pills, that he had told his family he was going to commit suicide, that the guards were out looking for him. I didn't know if any of that was true, but I took it as it was, that it might have been true. And as it was, the guards were looking out for him because he had wronged his family. But I didn't know that at the time, but I had taken it as truth. So I'd made him about the sixth cup of tea and then he started to say, I wanted to see my my children and I said, no, um, I'm ringing up the landlord now. Um, so I rang the landlord and stood there in front of that door and rang the landlord. But before he came up in that half an hour, I um, he, he pushed me to one side and um, opened that door and got to the bottom of the stairs and he shouted up, to the children and um i tried to pull him back and he pushed me really hard so he went against the floor on the the fireplace there and um the the stress and strain of coping with him for i don't know how long but all like night i um i couldn't breathe i had a panic attack this is basically the only way to describe it i just couldn't breathe because I knew I couldn't stop him. He's a very fit, physical man. And um, my heart went really fast, and I couldn't breathe. And anyway, I fainted. I didn't even even know. I just blacked out. When I came round, he's standing there with his boots on, um, with his boot right next to my head, and his foot upraised. And he said, I'll make sure nobody gets you. And so I pleaded with him, don't hurt me and um he said i don't want any man having you and i said no, i won't let any man have me and um eventually he lowered his foot but all he had to do was press it down i'll never forget that the imprint of the boot just above my face
2: i can't by the Another woman in the story, Neve, her violent relationship came to an end when she eventually built up the courage to admit to herself and to others that this horror was a reality and far from normal.
3: He was banging and banging and banging, you know, and I remember actually seeing an act of contrition, that this was it, you know, I, I I am dead, you know. I was so inches away from death and it was unreal, you know, the farce, you know, I'd never got a belt from him as I did then and I had desperate injuries and I didn't have any pain. I was numb, you know, completely numb and the Bengharti were lovely and, you know, they made me a coffee and they called the ambulance and on the way into the hospital. I was saying to myself, I'll tell them I fell off a ladder, or I'll tell them I had a car crash. I couldn't bring myself to say that a man was after doing this to me. They kind of dragged it out of me, you know, gently, like, you know. And I felt the weight of the world was after lifting off my shoulders. It was unbelievable. I was on a high, like.
0: I think domestic violence, it can take all all shapes and forms. It can be verbal, it can be psychological. It's how you make the other person feel. It's possibly worse than physically harming them. Uh, To be in fear, to be... If your partner is unpredictable, it's unnerving at times. Most of all, all the time, I suppose. You may not necessarily intend to control the person but through your actions you control them you control their responses and so you control their their life basically yeah. when I think of my wife when I met her she was confident and she was very chatty, very bubbly and very patient and the woman that left the house very insecure and very frightened, not a happy person, not the happy woman I met. It makes me feel terrible, of course, but I think there is no place for guilt when you want to truly change the person you are. You have to release yourself and you have to forgive yourself. You can't change yourself and make it up to the other person without wiping the slate and starting from scratch. It's a hard thing to do. It's it's taken me three months to stop feeling like an animal.
2: Domestic violence is an animal that lives in our society. It scars the lives of men, women and children. For Neve, Simon and Sarah, all three are scarred for life. All three are victims. But from here on in, their future
1: looks brighter. I know there's a lot of young girls now that have boyfriends. At 12 and 13 and 14, young ladies. Any woman, any young girl... If a man starts shouting at you, tells you off in front of your friends or tells you that you can't do this or you can't do that or pushes or shoves you or even slaps you or just degrades you or makes you feel wrong and upset deep inside of you for no reason, that is wrong. If your instincts tell you that's wrong and to break that relationship up or to move away or do it as nice and as safely for yourself as possible as well if you realise that your partner is violent you need to use your wits you need to get advice and you do need to do it safely because if you antagonise them by shouting at them back or trying to push away you you can actually end up in a fight
0: I would say to, to women out there who feel they are being abused, that it must stop now. You have to take courage and you have to take your space and demand to be respected. Nobody has a right to make another person feel Less of a person. I think that there are a lot of men with problems, but these problems can easily be over, overcome if a man has a will to overcome them and a will to change.
1: My
3: life's grand now. I went back to education. I'd say, like, when a man hits you once and you forgive them, they're going to do it again, like. That was the mistake that I made. When they hit you a second time, then you feel, well, he did it already. And until you're just so low down, you know, really, you're just killing yourself. And you're killing your children as well. And... It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. You know, no man is worth that at all. It's easier to go the first time than it is the second time. By the third time, you can forget about it. And the fourth time, you're not going to tell anyone what's happening to you. I kept it all to myself, you know. Talk to somebody and just get away from it like... I suppose if he hits you a first time, go and don't come back. Never ever, ever give him a second chance because it never changes. Get out. Just definitely get out.